Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I'm your host of this lovely podcast. Um, today I've got a great guest uh, with me um, on Skype because he's coming in loud and clear from the US. Um, I have got Brandon the 80s, Sean Robert. Did I get your name right? You did actually. <laughs> that's good. Thanks, Joe. That's that's actually something that, that doesn't get pronounced right very often. So, it does it have like French connections to it, Robert. It does. Yeah, oh. it's um, it's weirdly uh, French Italian. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's a weird mix, but it works. Do you ever come over this side of the Atlantic? Um, once uh, earlier this year, I was in Ireland uh, for my honeymoon. Ah, by any chance was that Star Wars related? No, it wasn't. Oh. Um, <laughs> that would have been that would have been cool actually it was if anything it was game of thrones related so ah okay yeah. uh some friends are trying to convince me to go and um hitch a rod on a, on a boat to uh Skellig michael where they, they filmed all the star wars stuff and basically stow away on the island on the craggy island um oh, nice and basically go missing because you're not allowed to stay on the island because it's dangerous and there have been american tourists that have died on that island um wow yeah so um they're trying to convince me they've almost caught me there um but but not quite well Uh, that's the way to sell you on it right (laughs) yeah a lot of people have died but but no one british so maybe maybe there's some luck in in it for me somewhere um but sean you have uh i kind of discovered you uh Basically, we have the same interests. I think we follow some of the same people on Twitter. Um, we're into the same things. And then I checked out your website, Branded in the 80s, which is almost, it kind of looks like it's been made just for me, um, <laughs> which all the best websites are. Um, and I think we're into a lot, lot of the same stuff. I've been listening to your podcast, the last few episodes at least, and it's great. It's just kind of based on nostalgia, but also kind of tying it into... Um, more new stuff and kind of um i really liked your your episode about um star wars uh, the last jedi because i think we have slightly differing views views on it um which can be interesting because i personally i i do think and you cover it in in your latest podcast i personally think it is the greatest star wars uh film that's ever been made um all the things yeah. that people kind of find wrong with it i, I love it's it's definitely a, a contentious one in in the fan community. Um, I'm I'm not sure where the the schism lies in terms of where uh, some people you know absolutely love it and some people absolutely hate it. I'm I think I'm kind of middle of the road because there's a lot of stuff about it that I really love. Um, you know all, all the stuff with like Kylo and Ray and yeah. a lot of the new characters. I'm 100% on board and like super stoked about it's um. I think it's mainly, uh, I don't know, like maybe it's my nostalgia for the older movies that I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite um, along for the ride. I mean, I liked when okay. they brought Han back in the last one, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, all, I mean, one of the the main things that people kind of had as a criticism was all the um, humor in it, and they thought the humor was mm-hmm. a little bit too much. But that, I mean, that, I loved that. I, I loved actually sitting down in a cinema watching Star Wars and actually being entertained um, mm-hmm. in, in a different kind of way. Because I mean, you watch Star Wars because it's escapism, it's it's an adventure that you don't normally get in your real life. But this particular Star Wars had all that, but also it made it a little bit more relatable. That these characters are not just one dimensional; they have kind of nuances and they have like layers and it's just great to see humor in, in like the star wars movie and not just slapstick humor which you get with like 3po and rtd2 you get kind of actually 
decent kind of up-to-date humor oh um, totally yeah poe po is a, a great addition for that in the movies yeah. like his whole well i don't want to get into spoilers but he, he has some great <laughs> stuff at the very beginning with hux and it's it's great it's priceless yeah, yeah um but also i mean um a lot one of the other criticisms we'll get on to the recommendations in just a second but let's talk about star wars first um when um, obviously uh, one of the main characters um i mean i'm, I'm gonna spoil this here wherever you want to scroll on another two minutes if you don't want to hear it but um luke obviously dies um what do you are, are you against that a lot of people seem to be against it. they wanted him to last at least till the next episode yeah, I'm. You know, at first that was one of my biggest fears going into it was I was I was afraid of him dying and just mm-hmm. kind of what that represented for the character. But after watching it, it's it's not really his death that bugs me. Yeah. Um. It, it's actually it's really poignant and the way it's handled is great. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole watching the two sons was you know kind of while he passes on is an it's an amazing callback to the first one and the music as well. Just just yeah, oh, so good. Yeah. Um. I think. It's not him dying. I think it's the way he dies that mm-hmm. that doesn't you know sit perfectly well with me. And and a lot of it is just you know I'm I'm totally for a lot of the stuff that Ryan Johnson was doing in terms of subverting fan expectations and and stuff like that. But I think I think I would have been uh, a little bit more happy if I'd saw more of a, a passing of the torch in terms of like the hope goes in the series. He was. Luke Skywalker always like uh, represented hope for me in the the original trilogy, and I feel like that's all gone, and he's lost it, and we didn't get a chance to see him lose it, so we're not, you know, we're not, we don't understand. It's it's sort of like a like a cold water splash in the face, you know. It's yeah, he's just broken, and we just kind of have to accept that, and that's I, I find that kind of hard. I mean, do you, do you think you would have preferred it if he actually made the journey to create himself rather than just send a force project? projection if he actually made that journey himself and actually his sacrifice was there on the battlefield do you think that would have been a better way yeah. for him to go like as a kind of a part i think i think part of me you know i mean i'm i, I hate to like like uh, fall into the idea of like well if i was writing the movie this is yeah. how i would do it but i mean I, you know the the whole idea of being able to project yourself into another place and time and area or whatever i thought that was a really cool addition to the to the whole jedi canon in terms of the the powers that they had and giving something new yeah and i think it would have been totally fair if he could have both projected himself and actually been physical in the world i mean they established that in the movie that there's this scene where kylo uh you know reaches out to ren and like it's raining where ren is and or ren right ray (laughs) Ray, and um you know he gets rain on himself so like when he snaps back he's on a you know like a superstar destroyer but he's he's got you know wet hair and stuff and yeah that was a little clue like kind of a um yeah so I think it would have been kind of cool if Luke was actually there and, you know, he faced off against Kylo and, and falls, you know, that, that would have been a lot more satisfying to me to, instead of it feeling kind of like a, like this phantom thing, that's almost like a, like, I think I call it a parlor trick in my episode. You do. Yeah. I mean, cause 'cause I think I expected him to be struck down like Obi-Wan was, and then uh, Mm. he would be a force ghost forever, but like, will he become a force ghost now? I mean, you have to have Luke in the next one at least. He has to come back some way. Yeah, um, I can't imagine that they wouldn't do something like that. Yeah, it could be at um, Leia's funeral or something. Maybe he appears. Maybe it's something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I I just found this the most entertaining in Star Wars. It's, it's it's so rewatchable. I, I've seen it in the cinema a couple of times now, and I'm gonna gonna go again. I feel like this is the one that's gonna kind of stay with me throughout mm-hmm. all of the uh, the franchise. Um, but yeah, and there's, there's something else that you you've kind of 
written about on your website, which we'll come on to later. Um, we'll, we'll get onto our recommendations first. But um, yeah, you're, if anyone wants to check out Brandon in the 80s, it's just brandoninthe80s.com. 80s, um, the numbers, not the not the letters. And um, it's just a treasure trove of of uh, nostalgic kind of callbacks to to the stuff that you loved in the 80s you've got you've got like all the cartoons you've got um stickers and yeah all kinds of collectibles and toys yeah and i I try to like i try to look at it from a perspective of you know part of it's like an adult perspective looking back but i also try to like hit that that note where you were like you know you 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 revisit these things but you get like a little bit of the wonder back of what it was like as a kid to be excited about this stuff i try to keep it positive and not snarky and yeah, you've, I think you've got a real, real good way about you. And I haven't actually clicked on that link that says awesome 80s bedrooms. But if you looked at my bedroom right now, I'm, I'm actually recording this from my bedroom today. I have a wall of, of a VHS wall, basically. Um, oh, nice. And uh, with just tons of like rare horror, mostly horror films. Um, Those are some of the best VHS. <laughs> yeah, the, the most valuable because um, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I, I write films and things and um, mm-hmm. those... Uh, VH, horror VHS that haven't been transferred to, to streaming platforms or to DVDs or Blu-rays. They only exist in the form of v, for VHS. So it's kind of like, if I don't have them, uh, because in the UK like you can't get VHS. You, it's not like America or LA or New York or whatever. You can't walk into a thrift shop and get VHS. They just get thrown yeah. away. So it's quite hard to track these things down. Um, well, I'm, I'm very familiar with that because uh, yeah. uh, real quick, I'm, I'm, I'm huge into the movie The Monster Squad. Yes. And one of my one of my passions is tracking down international copies of the the film on VHS, and it's it's not easy. <laughs> it, it, it isn't easy at all. I have I have it on VHS, but I think it it might be my original copy from when I was little, possibly. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm looking at a Monster Squad um, calling card right now. That's on on my shelf, um, which is great. Which happens at the end of the, the Monster Squad, and yeah, we'll come on to your Monster Squad thing in, in a bit because I think it's really interesting. The kind of what you've kind of done in that kind of community um we'll, we'll get on to the uh recommendations uh this podcast what to watch on netflix is uh, about recommending films tv shows documentaries which may go underrated or underseen uh, amongst your circle of friends it's the kind of thing that you use if you can't think of what to watch on a streaming platform and don't forget this isn't just netflix it could be amazon it can be hulu it can be youtube it can be anything any streaming service of your choice um, it's just a recommendation platform um so sean i'll go first as i'm the host and my first choice today um is something that i've just recently watched on uh netflix so i'm sticking with the with the title of the show and it's brand new in the uk at least on netflix and it's called discovering bigfoot (laughs) now (laughs) bigfoot it's, it's obviously an american thing a north american thing um and we don't really hear anything about Bigfoot or, or Sasquatches or anything like that here. Um, I, I'm a subscriber to a magazine called The Fortean Times, which if you're if you a writer or if you're into supernatural stuff, it's like a monthly guide to all the weird stuff that's happening in the world. And it's, I mean, 99.9% absolute bullshit. But um, it's entertaining. And, and if, like me, you have to uh, write or come up with ideas for, for supernatural things, seeing weird news around the world about Bigfoot and, and 
vampires and things just kind of helps you helps you get kickstarted so this is kind of came with a little bit of fanfare I, I kind of read about discovering bigfoot before it appeared on netflix um the thing i read mostly about it is they've got new footage never seen before footage um and the clearest footage of of bigfoot and i thought well why isn't this in the news why isn't this on the news at 10 that someone's actually discovered this mythical creature and pretty soon after watching this documentary i realized it's because it's it's not very good footage um but i'm obsessed with with the kind of people that go crazy over over something like this um people who are so obsessed that they manage to convince themselves and their friends and netflix into showing their documentary um so it's called discovering bigfoot only appeared i think in the last few days on netflix don't know if you've had a chance to see it yourself sean um but it's about this um, guy called Todd Standing. And if you had to draw a madman, it pretty much looked like Todd Standing. He is a guy, he has a big scraggly beard. He looks like he hasn't had a wash in, in a good few weeks. And he's out in the woods and he's with his video camera and he's looking for Bigfoot. And the whole time he's narrating this as if he's a scientist. He is not. He does not have any qualifications. And he's out there and he's pointing at branches that have broken and he's um, and he's showing you like footprints that are a little bit bigger than a human's footprint. And he's like, look, the scientists can't say that I'm wrong anymore. Look at this footprint, it's massive. Um, and then about halfway through, he gets a, a real scientist or someone with a PhD and he calls his scientist PhD. He doesn't refer to him by his real name. And he's like, I'm taking this, this PhD with me because I want the science world to kind of see what I'm seeing is, is real and, and, and Sasquatches are a real thing. Actually, before I go ahead, do you believe in Bigfoot, Bigfoot and Sasquatches and things like that? Um, no, I, I, I vastly appreciate cryptozoology, but <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Exactly. That that's where I stand. Um, in the UK, we have a lot of things um, because because we don't have a lot of of area for things to hide. We can't really have things like Bigfoot, but we have like we have the beast of Bodmin Moor. We have like beasts, which are more basically like little creatures that hover around woods, and uh, we don't have anything as exciting as. But I guess we've got the Loch Ness monster actually, um, mm. and that's kind of like world world famous. But I mean, I, I don't believe in that either. Um, but yeah, so this 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 guy is going around with a scientist, and they find various different structures that could have only been created by someone who's like nine foot tall, bending trees, um, and they put apples out in the woods um, overnight, and in the morning the apples are gone, and they think that is one hundred percent proof that um, a bigfoot exists. Um, they not taken into account. This is in the um, American woodlands where there are wolves, there are bears and like mountain lions and things like that um and it kind of all culminates to the last five minutes where uh and they could have showed this in the first five minutes so you would save you um, an hour and 55 um of really interesting footage of a creature peering through some rocks and at first it did quite look like someone just dressed up as a bigfoot but then it kind of zooms in and you get a really clear image of what it looks kind of like a bigger than a gorilla and you see the the person or sorry whatever this creature is blinking and it's very convincing that it's actually an animal and not a man in a suit but i i don't know what's out there in america it could it could be any kind of animal um but 
if you're going to watch this documentary, I, I would watch it out of curiosity. And also, it, it reminds me of something like maybe like uh, The Room or something, you, where someone is so fanatical about something, they just get something made and get something done. This guy has been so fanatical to, and he's so intent in proving that, that Sasquatch exists. He's almost willed this creature into existence, and he's shown you his video footage of, of something. In other words, there is something there. Um, and yeah, if, if you've got, if you've got a couple of hours to spare and you're, you're, you're into letting your mind open up for, for a couple of hours, then discovering Bigfoot on Netflix is, is, uh, not highly recommended, but it's recommended to watch the past the time and to, uh, if you're curious into cryptozoology, um, yeah. So that's my first pick of what to watch Netflix. Sean, what's your first pick? Um, <clears throat> my first pick is uh, a movie that I try to bring up whenever I get an opportunity to to do like a handshake movie or to recommend a movie. And it's uh, 2014's Ping Pong Summer, mm. uh, directed and written by Michael Tully. Um, this is kind of like a, uh, <clears throat> a definitely an underseen film that didn't really get a wide uh, theatrical release. And I think its biggest claim to fame is that it has a a handful of pretty recognizable stars and like Susan Sarandon, uh, Leah Thompson's in it. Uh, John Hanna and, uh, Amy Sedaris has like sort of like a small cameo role in it. Wow. And it's, um, I, I was turned onto this by my wife. Um, she grew up in, uh, uh, Maryland and, uh, there's this movie is set in ocean city, Maryland. It's set in the eighties. And, uh, the, the elevator pitch for it basically is a, a family goes to ocean city for vacation for a couple weeks. And, the uh, the son who's sort of obsessed with ping pong like runs into the local bully who's also like a ping pong local champion and they basically have like a karate kid type thing where they he gets bullied and then they challenge each other to a ping pong match that happens at the end of the, <laughs> <laughs> the end of the vacation and it's, it's from the eighties yeah it, it, it's actually it's it's set in the eighties but it okay. was um it's actually only it was made a few years ago but the the thing that I love about it is that a lot of the 80s call outs aren't super like in your face it's just kind of set dressing um there's a little bit of the plot stuff for it it, it definitely kind of mimics the plot of karate kid a bit <laughs> and it has a lot of uh callbacks and homages to some other 80s obscure films which uh, if you know it's like if you're going to do that like I feel like you know stray away from things like the goonies and back to the future and and like highlight movies that people may have not seen so it doesn't necessarily jump out at you so this one's like it's heavily wrapped around um, no retreat, no surrender homages, which is <laughs> brilliant. I love that film. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a hilarious movie to call back to. The two main characters are basically like young versions of the two main characters in no retreat, no surrender. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of awkward breakdancing and awkward uh, hip hop rap references. And uh, the, the lead character's name is Rad Miracle. Which is which is a reference to the movie Rad, the, the BMX yes, movie yeah, I love it. from '86, yeah. which is also a, a great movie. Um, so it's like it's it's just obscure enough, and it makes obscure enough references that if you're into niche movies like that, it's it's great. And it's one of those ones that it, it doesn't have a lot of like super quotable lines. It's a comedy, but if you rewatch it a couple times, like you start to just it, it it's like infectious. Like uh, Troll Two is infectious, where things become quotable that should not be quotable it's it's kind of ridiculous um <laughs> but it's it's one of my favorite movies that i've seen in the last decade actually wow and, okay yeah and i think it's i think it's just because it's it's earnest and 
the again that the references that they make are things that are squarely into my interests and it, i feel like they they like spied on me for a couple months before they wrote the script to uh <laughs> to totally suck me in but Amazing. it's um yeah it's, it's it's a lot of fun that's great and that's called ping pong summer mm-hmm. and it's available on amazon streaming right now i believe nice Great, thanks. Uh, that's that's a great choice. That's actually one that sounds right up my street too, and I would expect nothing less uh, uh, from someone who's so um, enamoured with the eighties as to bring something forward that is also a heart back to uh, the best decade, essentially. Um, talking of the eighties, uh, before I get on to my next one, um, you uh, wrote about one of my favourite things in the world, and that's the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Um, I had to search your site to make to see if you had written about that because I like talking about this cartoon with with everyone I meet. Um, it's one of my biggest influences, and I think I've probably ripped off most of the episodes for things I've written myself. Um, it's uh, yeah. What's what's your relationship to the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon? Did you watch it at the time when you were little? Or? I did. It was yeah. um. If I had to pick one Saturday morning cartoon that basically like epitomizes that feeling of like waking up at eight o'clock in the morning and grabbing a bowl of cereal, it yeah. was it was Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. It's, yeah. It it's so eighties, but at the same time, it it weirdly holds up well for a cartoon like stuff like uh, Masters of the Universe yeah. and uh, stuff are or they're great and I love them, but they're they're very dated. But yeah, strangely, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons holds up very well. It really does, um, and I think we got it a couple of years after America. Um, maybe even the the late 80s and early 90s we kind of we kind of got them um and i've I've just always been obsessed with it um i had the the end theme song um the as my as my uh ringtone for for a long long time um a certain episode i don't know if you remember the episodes by names but uh, an episode called city at the edge of midnight where that kind of beast steals children and makes him mm-hmm. and he stops um he makes the children stop the clock from hitting midnight because that's when he'll die just incredible i want to see that as a feature film um yeah. and the girl who dreamed tomorrow is another like amazing episode it's just just amazing and um obviously they never got to make the very last episode um but there's been plenty of things online for people to, um to try and kind of uh, get a, a, a petition made so they kind of get it made because um, I think the last episode is meant to be called Requiem, right? Do you know mm-hmm. anything about yeah. it? Yeah, and it was just uh, never made. Yeah, but I'm 99% sure that was one of the ones that was written by Michael Reeves. It was, yeah. And, um, he's he's There's some great pedigree um, animation-wise behind that show between uh, Steve Gerber working as a uh, story editor on it mm-hmm. and... Um, Michael Reeves, who, in my opinion, is hands down one of the best animation writers ever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's so great at um, taking a concept for a show and then finding that that thing about it that's like turns it on its head, but also like does things that other cartoons just never have the the balls to do. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's a I can't remember the the episode title off the top of my head, but there's a there's an episode in the series where um, the kids get so fed up with not being able to get home and they're like five seconds from being able to jump through the portal and they're so bummed out and pissed off that um, they just decide the only way we're going to do this is if we kill Venger and they specifically like seek to hunt him down yes, yes. Um, and kill him and it's it's powerful. <laughs> I think that's season two. Um, yeah, that's great when the kids turn. And I mean... Um, you know they're making a um, a new Dungeons and Dragons movie, unfortunately not based on the cartoon, um, but that's I think that's coming out next year because 
uh, I think everyone kind of wants a Stranger Things type vibe and I mean this is very Stranger Things uh, group yeah. of kids who have magical powers and um, um, who who faces um, evil essentially and, and obviously Stranger Things has a lot of Dungeons and Dragons references in it um, in terms of the monsters and the kind of uh, powers that they, they have um, yeah that's great so um, let's get on to my second choice of what to watch on Netflix um, I've gone to a little bit different here I've gone for a well, it's kind of like a documentary. It's kind of like a TV show. Um, are you aware of Nathan for You? Um, no, I'm not. Okay, so Nathan, F- uh, I'm glad so I can explain it. Nathan for You is um, it's on the Comedy Channel in America. Um, here we can only really get it um, if we stream it from the uh, Comedy Channel's website. Uh, sorry, Comedy Central's website. Um, and if you do want to go to the Comedy Central website and you don't have a subscription to an American service, um, you can click a thing where it gives you a 24-hour pass and then you can blitz Nathan For You. Oh, essentially, what Nathan For You is, it's a kind of like a mockumentary type thing where Nathan Fielder, who's a, who's a comedian, he goes into small businesses um, with the sole purpose of making them better. Um, and usually he does that by using abs- absurd techniques uh, to do so um for instance um he would go into he would he, in the most recent series that, that came on um he wanted to make a pizza restaurant more um popular and and um and more just, just get more revenue essentially so he engineered uh, a celebrity to come in and leave a massive, massive tip. And in doing so, that would make the papers write about it. Ex celebrity left this amount, and therefore the restaurant would get publicity. Um, and he couldn't, couldn't find a real celebrity, so he just got a lookalike to come in and <laughs> uh, pretend that they left like a hundred dollar tip. And it was very well orchestrated, and it got into the real newspapers, and it did get. Um, that restaurant more um, more more business, and this is what he does every episode, and it's and some of his ideas are so so outlandish, and uh, the particular episodes I'm talking about today was the finale that was just um, on TV in America um, in the last few weeks, and it was a feature length special, so I'm counting this as a film, um, and it's called Nathan for You Finding Francis, and what this particular uh, episode was about ninety minute episode. Um, it was about a um, a previous uh, person was on one of his previous series, who was a Bill Gates impersonator. Now it sounds like every episode is about a, a famous person impersonator, but that's just a coincidence. Um, so this Bill Bill Gates impersonator, he was just a real periphery character that helped him in one of the episodes. Something that he uh, that this character said um, stuck with Nathan, um, and this Bill Gates impersonator, he must have been in his probably 60s or 70s said that about 40 years ago he was he lost the love of his life and he mentioned it in the episode so for this finale um nathan fielder was like this guy really it really stuck with me what he said so i'm gonna meet up with him um and talk to him about it so he he met up with this bill gates impersonator and was like tell me about this woman that you that you lost 40 years ago and he explained that uh they were like childhood sweethearts and um his mother didn't like her so she made him split up with her um and they kind of lost lost touch but it was it's always been the love of his life so nathan's like right okay it's been 40 years but i'm going to help you find her 
I'm going to reunite you with her and we'll try and get you together. So the whole film, essentially, is about them tracking down this lady who's who's presumably changed, been married and changed her name and is out of the country, etc. And this journey is, in, is absolutely incredible. And this is kind of like a comedy show. But um, sometimes the, the kind of dramatic elements of it are, are just really surprising. And um, he seems to have a kind of a little bit like Louis Theroux. I don't know if you get Louis Theroux over there, but he's like, like a, a journalist that goes around and seems to be a magnet to weird characters. This is what Nathan, Nathan Field is like. Um, and in order to for this, he wants the kind of um, the old guy to practice because he hasn't had much practice in recent years practice speaking to women so he hires an escort this kind of quite young like 20 year old escort to speak to this old man so he remembers how to kind of flirt with people etc but then nathan fielder falls almost like falls in love with this with this escort and the and the documentary kind of derails a little bit while he is paying for this escort to come and just talk to him because nathan field is also very awkward there's a lot going on here but it's it's really it's really exciting and and for a a comedy show it really um, amps up the tension and it's very very exciting Um, yeah i was gonna say yeah that sounds amazing it's it's like uh this american life meets um I'm not sure what, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly that. It is like a, uh, This American Life mixed with something very absurd. Uh, but yeah, so that's Nathan for you. And you can go to the Com- Comedy Central website right now and, and watch it for free, um, no matter where you are in the world. And that is my second choice. Sean, what's your second choice of what to watch on Netflix? Uh, my second choice is um, something that I think just uh, came back on Netflix recently. It's a... Um, uh, Don Coscarelli movie called John Dies at the End uh, from 2012. Uh, it's based on a book by David Wong. Um, and it is, if you're not familiar with uh, Coscarelli's work, I mean, he, he I did am. like Beastmaster. And yes. yeah, he's he's definitely well known in the horror community with Phantasm yeah. and, and stuff. And he doesn't he doesn't make a lot of movies. You know, he's he's sort of got some like big hits, quote unquote, hits along the way, like Boba Hotep and yeah. and stuff. But um I feel like he's one of those filmmakers that gets better with age. Like mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers seem to like lose touch with what it is that I don't know, whatever magic spark that they find when they're young, they just sort of go to commercial or lose touch. But I feel like Coscarelli just gets better and better as yeah, the years go on. And um, when uh, when I saw John dies at the end, I, I was I don't know, I was just completely and totally floored. The movie is insane. It's it's all over the place yet it it makes sense and it's 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 actually kind of hard to describe it's it's sort of about <laughs> these two characters they get hooked on a uh, sort of like a drug called soy sauce that that lets them sort of travel through time and have uh, psychic conversations and read people's minds and they see monsters that other people can't see and they almost become sort of like a supernatural like hunting team like like uh, from the TV show or like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something yeah. like that um, and they, they get wrapped up into this, uh, this plot where I, I assume it's like aliens that are kind of taking over the world and it's, it's just insane. And it's, it's the best things about cinema. I don't know. It's, it's so weird. And the, the character design is just ridiculously fun. I mean, there's, there's like, there's a monster made out of like frozen meat products in this movie <laughs> and they defeat him by getting him to have a phone call with somebody, which is just I don't know. It sounds it sounds ridiculous. Everything that you say about this movie sounds ridiculous, but when you're yeah. watching it, it makes perfect sense. It's 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 like um, Buckaroo Banzai or Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, 
it's just batshit. <laughs> yeah, I, I read the book before I watched the film, and um, when like when I saw that they were making it into a film, I was like, how are they gonna? How can you make this into a film? Um, but yeah, I mean, they did, and I think I think they did a really good job. Um, again, like you said, it's it's bizarre and um, it's quite gory and um, just surprising and. Yeah, it's, it's very really strange. smart. Yeah, it's really smart and really funny. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of that comes out of the book. Um, yeah. And but but at the same time, it's like it doesn't come across like, you know, too cool for school. It's yeah. like it, it knows how to toe that line. And I don't know. It's it's. I feel like it's Um, if there's Sam Raimi fans out there that are kind of bummed that Sam Raimi isn't making Sam Raimi movies anymore. <laughs> this is definitely a movie to check out because it it's it feels like it's very in line with that stuff, yet still very Coscarelli. Yeah, do you know? Um, you know, so he adapted Bubba Hotep from um a, a book by Joe R. Lansdale. But did you ever read the Joe R. Lansdale book, uh, The Driving? Oh no, I haven't. Um, you will you will love it. So there's this book called um, uh, The Driving by Joe R. Lansdale, and it's about um a classic American driving. I think it's one of the, the last ones, um, um, kind of contemporary ones in in America, and uh these kids they they all go there to watch this particular horror film um but then a comet passes over as it does in these stories and then they realize they can't leave if you try and leave you get evaporated immediately so they're basically stuck in this drive-in basically for all eternity and these communities develop within this drive-in um there's different factions um and then this kind of monster develops out of the popcorn machine it is mental and um the reason why i bring it up is because don coscarelli uh was going to adapt this particular um the drive-in um into a film but um joe lansdale was like it's almost impossible to make this into a into a feature film because it's too crazy but i I, i'm just i'm begging don coscarelli to 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 make it because i think it'd be just incredible and the sequel is two sequels as as a trilogy go even even more crazy goes underwater inside a whale and uh and there's dinosaurs (laughs) yeah it's crazy Um, i'm writing this down this is going on the amazon wishlist right now yeah i mean it's 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 like dead driving meets night of the comet yes oh it's very very like dead in driving and and night of the comet by the way is my favorite movie of all time it's, it's a good one to have as a favorite. Yeah, it is. Um, I I've, I recently um have had a short film that did the festival circuit, and it's called Dawn of the Deaf. Um, and it's very very inspired by uh, Night of the Comet, and um, it basically, myself and uh, I'm the writer and, and the director. I think one of our big aims is to remake Night of the Comet. I know people hate remakes, but I want to get to a point where. I have the ability to just go right. Our next project is going to be Night of the Comet and just remake it, um, and just just have fun. I mean, you don't really need to remake yeah. Night of the Comet because it's perfect, but I think there can be stuff that can be updated and make it more relevant and uh, to what's going on now. But um, yeah, totally. So- yeah, I was gonna say it's one of those films that I mean, it definitely has a cult following and everything, but I think it's obscure enough that you could bring it to an entirely new audience. Yeah. And coming from somebody who loves it. You know that I think that's the problem where remakes go wrong is the people that don't love the source material and they they want to add themselves or something drastically new to it. So yeah. it's like if you if you come from a place of love, yeah, there's yeah, potential there. I'm obsessed with it. I I have the uh, the rights to release the soundtrack as well because I have a I have a record label, so um, I'm going to release the the soundtrack to it as well. 
um, was the, for the first time in like 30 years. Oh, um, wow, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, Don Eyes at the End is, is I, I thoroughly recommend that too. I think it's a great choice. And if you haven't seen it, uh, did you say it's on Netflix? I believe at least Netflix US. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure what the difference is between the different um, it's, zones. It's but... usually quite similar, actually, the US and, and the um, UK one. Um, that's great. That's a great choice. Um, right. For my last choice of what to watch on netflix um i'm going to go for a because i'm i love horror films i'm going for something that um i only kind of revisited recently um and it's the 1977 film demon seed have you seen demon seed sean i haven't it's been on my to watch list forever and gonna... i just haven't, <laughs> i haven't jumped in yet i'm going to try and convince you um so i i'd watched this when i was small i think it was on on, on channel four when i was little and in the um in the it was only right in, in the mid 90s in the uk where we started everyone started getting like cable and satellite and stuff so for, for a lot of the time we only had four channels um so when something was on tv a lot of people watched it and i was always kind of a night owl when i was a kid uh, so i would stay up for as long as possible on, on the weekends and i remember vividly being a child and Demon Seed coming on TV, and Demon Seed um, stars um, uh, Julie Christie as as the, the the main character, and it kind of follows the the trope of a lot of the films around the time of a woman who is um, how can I put this is forced to do things uh, by something beyond her control, and in this particular instance, it's a computer. So this is a 1977 film predicting the future of computers and the kind of dark path it, it may take. So she is a kind of like a housewife. She, she hangs out in this really kind of like plush house and her husband's a scientist. And, it, and he's creating a computer that has kind of limited artificial intelligence. Um, and he goes away to do some research or something. And she's left in this house with this computer terminal and um this computer starts talking to her and uh then one day says to her um by the way uh, miss um i've decided what's going to happen next you, I'm, you're going to bear my child and it's just a computer talking and she's like well, what, what are you talking about and she, and the computer basically tells her you're going to bear my child or bad things will happen and obviously this is crazy and this is 1977 so the thought of a computer kind of everyone was kind of feared feared the kind of direction that technology was, was going to go because they i don't know they've seen a lot of sci-fi films and this kind of did predict a lot of things so what will you get here you get things like um so the computer holds a hostage in her house won't let her leave because for some kind of reason her her husband had had computerized the entire house and so the doors work on are controlled by the computer too so she's stuck in this house as a hostage, and any time like someone comes to visit, they get murdered by this computer, in in, in bizarre ways, um, and this is all it's kind of amps up, amps up, amps up, and she manages to kind of, um, kind of get the word out that something's going wrong with this computer, but it's al- it's almost too late because everyone that tries to help her dies um, in in kind of sadistic ways. So she almost accepts her fate to become impregnated by this kind of robot type of thing that the computer's built as a way of impregnating her. And it I don't really understand how it actually managed to do it, but you see her legs kind of open and a com- 
something happen and um she gives birth to something that she's not allowed to see the computer the computer says you're not allowed to see it because you're not going to love it you have to wait 30 days um before you see this baby or otherwise you're not going to love it and she's like no i want to see it now and you can just imagine in your head where this is going um and then in the meantime her husband kind of comes home and she seems to be kind of all chill about it and her husband's like what's up and she's like oh i I gave birth to a child with the computer and the husband's like what do you mean and they run into this science room and there's a kind of like a um a sarcophagus there like this kind of metal egg that the computer's built to put the baby into so it can kind of uh kind of hibernate for 30 days and when it emerges that'll be its true form um but the, but the husband's like this is crazy and kind of like pulls the wires out and um this kind of like robot robot mess of a kid comes out and tries to kind of kill him or something um and then he he peels back the um actually i'm not going to spoil it for you because he said he wanted to say it but it's it's a very surprising ending and it's quite shocking and the thing that kind of is the pull for for this particular film and the reason why I think everyone should watch it is because I think there's a lot of technology in this that's predicted way before it, before it happened um, in terms of communication um, in the direction of where the internet's going because I mean the internet didn't exist well not for the Joe Public um, but there is uh, in the internet in this um, and, and other forms of devices with in the house that kind of we have now and we take it for granted is here in 1977 uh, faithfully pre-produced what, what's the opposite of reproduced pre-produced i don't know but, <laughs> but we see we saw all kinds of like interesting things in there and it, it's kind of just calls out for someone to do a a breakdown of everything that's in this house that that's around now it's really really interesting um and yeah and uh, i tried to find a, because i wanted to talk about it, i tried to find a, a legal source to find this but the only place i could find it was youtube um it, it was on amazon not so long ago because i remember seeing the poster for it um but it's not there anymore so uh, you can watch it on youtube um in full uh, so you can do it right now if um unless it gets taken taken down but um i thoroughly recommend it it's directed by a guy called donald camel no idea what he's done since then but um uh, wherever he, but he did this a good job on this um and yeah yeah no that sounds fascinating i i love that kind of genre of um i don't know if you would call it computer horror or like uh something like that but like stuff like evil speak or electric yes. dreams yeah um her uh from not too long ago uh, yeah. spike jones's movie that 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 stuff fascinates me and yeah this sounds amazing and it's like it it's like that mixed with and i keep wanting to mash things up but it's like that mixed with like you know the whole rosemary's baby possession yes. kind of vibe that wow that does sound the amazing. entity I'm, that kind of thing yeah, yeah. yeah. um wow. uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to kind of make fun of in, in this as well obviously because they didn't always hit the mark every, every time but um yeah, I, I'm kind of kind of obsessed with this now. And the post is amazing as well, and I think that's half the battle. Um, before we go on to your your final choice, can we speak about Monster Squad? Oh, totally. I I always love talking about Monster <laughs> Squad. So, um, so I went to I went to see Monster Squad for the millionth time, but uh, for the I think maybe only the second time in the cinema. I went to watch it recently at the Prince Charles Cinema in London's Leicester Square. 
um, and they had a screening there with a couple of the actors, um, and it was great. And I, I brought uh, someone with me who hadn't seen it before, so it was their first um, viewing of it, and and they absolutely loved it. And th- there were kids, the kids who turned up um, to, to to go to the screening, and they weren't let in because they weren't old enough, but they were allowed in for the Q and A afterwards, which I think is a nice touch by the Prince Charles Cinema. Um, but, but what's your relationship to the Monster Squad? Because I know it's a little bit more in depth uh, than mine. Yeah, well, um, that's one of those movies. Uh, what it came out in 1987, and I was the I was the perfect age for that movie. I was 10 years old, and it was one of the first films that I saw like by myself at the theater, where my you know I wasn't getting chaperoned by my parents, and I it was Hang like on, a you went sort to of see, like a you went to see you were allowed at 10 years old to go to the cinema by yourself. Oh yeah, that, that that's actually one of the I guess you know because I'm I'm sort of now learning about this whole idea of like how horror films are definitely a lot more I don't know if I would call it censored or what you know you would say like over there where there was definitely like the stuff that was on like the you know the don't watch list or the banned list yeah yeah um and I'm I'm I don't know how it sounds like they're potentially pretty strict with letting you into the theater but it, like yes. in America <laughs> it, oh my god it was so easy to get into the theater yeah. I mean basically. <laughs> If if the movie wasn't something that was like so obviously R rated or something like it was hard to get into like straight up horror movies like uh, Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street, but yeah. I mean basically at the end of the day, if if it was even remotely kid like, it I don't think it was a problem. Like I, I never I only got turned away once, and that's when I uh, snuck into Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, <laughs> um, and I literally got pulled by my ear out of the theater by an usher. Uh, but yeah so I I was the perfect age uh, for Monster Squad when it hit and there was like I I was getting like bombarded on on three uh, like it was like a three-pronged attack on my senses where I had uh, we had a series of books over here that were in like all the school libraries Uh, it was this series called the the Crestwood Monster series which uh, detailed like all the old Universal movies and Uh. um, stuff and it was it's weird literature that are fairly well researched and written for kids books. Um, but I was obsessed with those. Um, I was obsessed with garbage pail kids, which was a ton of gore and horror and monster stuff. And so when monster squad hit, it was the first time I felt like a horror movie was like aimed at kids sort of, that was sort of like a new concept uh, with PG 13 in America. And so, you know, it was a must see for me, and um, I, I did end up going to see it in the theater alone. And I was so glad because it was only in the theater here for a couple weeks um, before it kind of disappeared and uh, became like sort of like a VHS staple for a lot of people. Yeah, because it wasn't successful when it first came out, was it? In the cinema? No. Yeah, it was. It was the the, the opposite of successful. Yeah, because yeah. people thought it was just like almost like a kind of a rip off of the Goonies or Lost Boys. It was kind of. Um, it, it, had a, it was a hard sell. Um, the marketing department didn't know how to market it. Yeah. They didn't know if they should like sell it to adults or children. So they, they just kind of landed on using the Ghostbusters tagline yeah. and just kind of augmenting it. And I think that confused a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a bumble. Yeah. And you've, you've, you've collected a lot of the kind of stuff surrounding because uh, you're a bit of a collector or at least you was until i heard one of your podcasts where you got rid of a lot of your stuff um but uh you, you have a lot of monster squad stuff right yeah i try to that's that's one of the things that i try to focus on now is um and i think i'm kind of a like i really enjoy collecting monster squad memorabilia because there's not a lot of it so mm-hmm. you know you don't get lost in the collection and it's um it's one of those things that should have been marketed like heavily to kids. It was right in the middle of the eighties explosion where everything had a lunchbox or a food product tied into it. 
and this had nothing. You know, all pretty much all you can find is uh, copies of the movie on VHS or like a lot of the promotional production materials. So like, um, you know, like the still photos that they would send out to the uh, the newspapers yeah, and yeah. posters and stuff like that. So um, I have collected a lot of Infamira, but I my the, the main gist of my collection is uh, focusing on the the VHS and beta releases of the film. Yeah, and. At, at first, it just started as a way to kind of have like something that I could have in my room that kind of represented the movie for me. And it just kind of spread like a sickness. And now I think I have like 30 or 35 copies from pretty much every continent except for Africa and Antarctica. And wow. I'm still I'm still working on Africa. I want to find like an Egyptian copy or something. That'd be great with a hand drawn cover. You mean something like that? Oh, that would. Oh, man, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like one of those Nepalese posters. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, and also, I noticed uh, on on your website, you've um, I actually did click on the link um, that was uh, awesome eighties bedrooms, and you've gone into detail in it for uh, uh, describing all the stuff that in the in certain rooms in within uh, Monster Squad. Um, for instance, the Monster Clubhouse, which is the, the best clubhouse in the cinema history, I think, for the amount Pretty of like, cool stuff that's inside it. Um, and you've you've labelled everything neatly, and you've got all the kind of hammer horror posters on the walls and all the kind of little kind of obscure figures they've got there the inhumanoids decompose action figure things like that um this is great this is amazing i could i could spend years just like trawling through this website just looking at cool stuff and trying to recreate it myself um, in my own bedroom (laughs) um I, i don't have ocd but when it comes to film i kind of do it's like i i have a hard time not seeing like the 50 things in the background in every shot and (laughs) So it it is a lot of fun to like take a movie like that or ET or something like that and just kind of break the fun bedrooms down. That's great. Um, cause, um, cause I, I go in that dinosaur Dracula website and, uh, he does the same for like supermarkets as well. Supermarkets and films. And I was like, so now I'm, I'm, I look f- when I see like a film, especially from, from this particular time, eighties or nineties, mm-hmm. I'm always looking in the background for like particular brands of things and just, just obscure, uh, pieces of memorabilia that you forgot even existed. Um, totally. and, I, and I love like films that, um, that have scenes in toy shops as well. Like from, from that, from that era, because it's just, mm-hmm. it just takes you down memory lane. Are you a big fan of uh, the Goldbergs by any chance? Um, you know, I've had that recommended to me uh, a million times, and I yeah. I keep meaning to dive into it, and I, I need to. I know I need to. I just uh, I haven't I haven't taken the plunge yet. Yeah. I know I'm gonna fall in love with it when you I do. Will. I just. I mean, it's not just for the kind of eighties nostalgia. It's just great writing, and um, it's just really, really well done. And obviously, uh, the main guy's bedroom is just a cavalcade of of eightiesness and. Uh, and they they do change it up all the time, so it's not just the same stuff in his bedroom all the time. Um, and there's a lot, lots of like Easter eggs and real rare stuff, that, which I'm 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 guessing they've probably made themselves, and they're not just something that they found on the internet. Um, I did well. I did read one article, and he said that the the show has been an amazing excuse to pick up a lot of the stuff that he never had as a kid. So oh, I'm gosh. I'm thinking part of the budget is put into uh, toy hunting. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but yeah, um, let's go on to your, your final choice of what to watch on Netflix. Uh, so uh, for my final choice is um, I wanted to pick a documentary because uh, I, I definitely enjoy watching documentaries. And uh, in the last, uh, I don't know, four or five years, I came across a movie called uh, Marwan Call. I've seen it. And it's great. You've seen it? Okay, yeah. It's a 2010. Um, about, it's, it's all about a guy named Mark Hogan Camp who 
uh, was uh, brutally beaten by a bunch of hooligans in a bar that he worked at. And uh, he he made it through, but he had a lot of brain damage. And basically, he doesn't remember who he used to be. And he um, he basically grasped onto one. I just, I just find this fascinating is he grasped onto this idea of like refining himself through toys. And so he he builds this fictional town and he he fills it with all of these World War II era dolls and gives each doll a personality and a backstory. And he he tells this this story. It's uh, like, again, through all these dolls and all these pictures and he, he takes photos of them and. It's just fascinating to watch somebody heal uh, through through a hobby like this. Yeah, um, it's it's sad and touching, and uh, like most documentaries, I think it it probably goes a little bit too far at times. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's just fascinating um, how he you know he weaves himself into the story. There's a he has a doll of himself, and he has uh, dolls of like women that he has crushes on, and. <laughs> Um, you know, when, when a woman will spurn him, he'll, he'll introduce a new character that comes to town and deals with the woman and <laughs> then he has to move on to another character. It's just, I don't know. It's absolutely fascinating. It is. And, um, I mean, I, I know he's quite an extreme character, but when I watched it, I, I, I found bits of myself in him as well. The kind of, um, cause I, I, I do collect stuff, um, every night. I mean, my VHS collection alone. Um, so I can kind of understand that kind of an obsession over something that maybe other <clears throat> people might not understand um but yeah. it's it's how he kind of uses that as almost art because what he creates isn't just like a pastime he's creating art and even if you're not into if you even if you don't understand what he's doing you can kind of step back and take a look at what he's achieved and it's i think it's it's beauty in 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 that um mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 much in the same way that like if you've ever seen the documentary um uh, the devil in uh Daniel Johnson. Yes. Oh, it's great as well. You know, it's 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 some of the best art is created when it's created without the intention of creating art. Like you yes. said, it's it's just a passion that comes through and it can't be held back. There's nothing, you know, like Daniel Johnson uses children's toys to make music and this guy just uses what's at hand to to, to heal and, and like I said, he takes photos of it and stuff and it's just I don't know, it's just it's just amazing. It's so pure. It is. And it's called Marwan Call because that's his name, right? He's just kind of can He's a yeah, it's, it's a, it's yeah, it's a mix between um him and uh, two of the the ladies that he's had crushes on. So it's got Mar from Mark, uh, Wen from Wendy, and Call from Colleen, and he's he's named his town after that, and it's it's fascinating. Wow, um, th and that came out maybe a few years ago, didn't it? Has there ever been any updates about him? Has he has he continued to make this kind of um, imaginary world where he's like a hero? I think he has. Um, I want to say that uh, shortly after the film, he kind of became a splash in the uh, the art field where um, there, there's a there's a photographer in the film that kind of runs into him that lives in the same town. And he, I think he helps him discover his sort of hidden talent for for art or whatnot. And I believe that there's been like gallery showings of his photos now. And I think there's a, like a nice coffee table book out. So I'm thinking that <laughs> it's definitely branched out and he's he's been able to make a career out of this, which that's is great. that's I mean, that that's great. You know, if you're going to. If you have to suffer through something like that, it's at least to be able to to make a career out of your passion afterwards. It's got to be great. That's true. Um, and yeah, that, that's that's a great final choice. Is, is there anything else you want to recommend? Um, it doesn't have to be a film. It could be a comic or, or it could be anything, really. Another website. Anything in particular you, watched, you want to tell the uh, listening public? Um, I mean, if uh, you've got uh, obviously this is a podcast, so if yep. there's podcast fans out there, I've just recently 
uh, found a new podcast that I'm I'm absolutely obsessed with called uh, the Switchblade Sisters. Mm. It's um you know they take the name from the the Grindhouse film and it's it's hosted by April Wolf. Uh, the she was formerly of the LA Times. I think the LA Times just kind of went went crazy bust up. But yeah, um, yeah she um, basically it's a it's a film podcast, a genre film podcast, but it's totally from the perspective of women. So it's hosted by a woman and all of her guests are women that work in the industry and they just talk about their favorite genre films. So nice. stuff from like Near Dark to Bone Tomahawk and and everything in between. And it's it's thoughtful and it's I don't know, like I've 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 seen Near Dark a million times and yeah. I've you know watched the commentaries and it and I was still finding new things in that episode where they were talking about it. Oh, so great. it's just yeah, it's just really fascinating. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely subscribe. I'll definitely subscribe. And you also, um, you, you you want to start a thing, or you have started a thing, where every Thursday you kind of um, you give a shout out to other uh, podcasts that that you like, and you want them to kind of get that started and trending on Twitter. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to you know hashtag Thursday podcast reviews. I mean, mm-hmm. there's obviously you know people love podcasts, but I I feel like there's a lot of shows out there that that get a decent listenership, but like people don't really you know, tend to review them or whatever. It, it, yeah. It's a hard ask, you know, it is, it's yeah. one thing to download. It's another thing to click through and write something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to just convince people like if they, you know, I've got a small following on Twitter, but if it's like, you know, if you, Hey, if you like my show or something, find your favorite podcast and just take five minutes out of your day on a yeah. Thursday, write a review for it. And then, you know, no big deal. I think Next that's a great idea. One. I think that's great. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, I mean, the po- podcast I've listened to, literally for years and i and i haven't given it a review just because it's one of those things where you you think oh i'll eventually do it or maybe yeah. they don't need my review but i mean podcasts do need reviews they need reviews they need your interaction because that's how they um survive really and that's how they kind of pop their head above the parapet and 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 kind of differentiate them from from other podcasts around them um yeah. i mean because there are a lot of podcasts about tv and film uh, and i'm lucky that i, I have uh, a, a kind of a, a good following that kind of listens to, to my stuff but there are a lot of podcasts that that are that i feel don't aren't appreciated enough um and that's the least i can do um for having free entertainment to kind of go in and, and review them um so i will definitely go and review yours tomorrow morning um and give it five stars um, because I have Thank enjoyed the, the last few episodes I've listened to. Previous to that, it, it, could, it could have been rubbish, but I'm sure it's it's been great based on the last few episodes. It, it, it probably is. It probably <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, it was really good to speak to you, Sean, and I'm sure I'll speak to you again in, in the future sometime. Um, and if you if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Uh, you can find me online, uh, like you said, at brandedinthe80s.com. That's where you can find the majority of the things that I do. And... Um, I'm Sean Robert on Twitter and Smurfrick on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's that's about it. I mean, most of the stuff you can find on my website. I pretty much cross-post everything. So Yeah. And uh, if anyone wants to check me out, um, I am Jed Shepard on Twitter, J-E-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Uh, you can find uh, all my podcasts by going to postpoppodcast.com or if you want to check my record label, it's postpoprecords.com. Um, I'm on Instagram but I don't post that much uh, check out Dawn of the Deaf my horror film that's doing well um, and yeah and that's it guys I will see you next time in another episode of What to Watch on Netflix thanks very much Sean thank you so much for having me on Jeff. this was awesome <laughs> <laughs>